Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hebron, and do trust that uh, God will bless you. You will hear God's voice as we study his word together. We're continuing our studies in John's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, could you open your Bible to John's Gospel, chapter 3. If you want a Bible, stick up your hand, and I'm sure one of the stewards can uh, put a Bible into your hands. So the passage today is John chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 22 down to the end of the chapter. Uh, The the heading that I've I've put over this passage, um, I've just taken it from verse 30, and it's this, the Christian's objective, he must increase, I must decrease. It's up on the screen. Let's read the, the word of God together. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Enon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Amen. May God bless his word. So there are a number of Johns involved in today's message, so things could get a little bit confusing. Firstly, there is the Apostle John, uh, one of the the twelve disciples who wrote this wonderful gospel that we are studying together. Uh, Then there is John the Baptist, who with Jesus is a central character in our passage today. And then there's John Farrell, uh, our chairman, who read to us some additional passages um, that I will refer to. Here in chapter 3, John the Baptist once again enters the stage. He appears ever so briefly at the beginning of John's gospel. In chapter 1, 
now again in chapter 3, and then he just vanishes. But his impact was profound. He was an amazing man sent from God. John Farrell read from Luke chapter 3. Jesus described John the Baptist in that passage as the greatest man that ever lived. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. The words of Jesus. Jesus also described him as the greatest prophet. He was more than a prophet, said Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He was God's voice. Crying out in the wilderness, prophesied by Isaiah all those hundreds of years ago. He was God's prophet. He was God's messenger. His role to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus Christ. To prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus Christ. And his ministry touched the nation. Matthew chapter 3, we read about the intensity of John's preaching. He came preaching repentance, commanding people to turn from their sin, to turn to God. The way he exposed the hypocrisy among the religious leaders. You brood of vipers, he said to them. His strange appearance. Dressed in a camel hair coat. Not like Del Boy. I guess it was more rustic. His diet. People came to see him. But people came to hear him. To hear his message. And to be baptized by him. Confessing their sins. <clears throat> J.C. Ryle, the, the, bishop, the former bishop of Liverpool... Uh, He wrote an excellent set of commentaries on the Gospels. He wrote about this very passage. This passage deserves the special attention of all devout Bible readers. Because it contains the last testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus Christ. John's testimony of Jesus, his understanding of who Jesus was and his mission was unparalleled. We saw that back in chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God, says John, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is the Son of God. This was John's testimony of Jesus in chapter 1. Where did John get this understanding from? God told him. We read in chapter 1 verse 33. John says, I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize, that is God. He who sent me said to me, God spoke to John. God told him. 
he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's why John's testimony about Jesus is so important because it came directly from God. Now John has already testified about Jesus in chapter 1, but here in chapter 3 there is something new. Look at what John says in verse 30. For me, it's the key verse of the passage. John says something first about Jesus, and then he says something about himself. He says, he, Jesus, must increase. He must increase. Then he says something about himself. I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now this in itself is not new. Uh, John has already alluded to the superiority of Christ in chapter 1. You remember his words, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. He ranks before me because he was before me. It's verse 29 that contains something new here. Because John in that verse speaks about his joy. Listen to what he says. He says, this joy of mine is now complete. That's new. Here we are given an insight into the joy of the greatest man that ever lived. He rejoices at the voice of Jesus Christ. He rejoices at the voice of the bridegroom. This is a a crazy joy. This is, this is not a joy of this world. This is a joy that is rooted and grounded in his love for Jesus Christ. Now think of what this means for John the Baptist personally. He must increase, but I must decrease. I must fade away. I must become silent. My followers must leave me and join Jesus, my ministry is ending. And in this, my joy is complete. Wow. This would not be the cause for joy for most people. But this is the joy of the Christian life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. This is the objective of the Christian life. That in your life, Christ might increase and you might decrease. That others might see Jesus Christ in you. That just like John the Baptist, for you, Christ is everything. That you just want to point people to Jesus Christ. That you rejoice at the voice of Jesus Christ when you hear him speaking to you through the word of God. And your greatest joy that is in your life, he might increase and you might decrease. And so that in living this way as Christians, what are we doing? We are putting Christ on display. 
This is God's purpose for every one of us. Paul says in Galatians that Christ might be formed in us. Again, this is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about um, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That God is gradually transforming us into the image of Christ. How are you getting on with that? This is what Jesus talked about to his disciples as he made the journey to Jerusalem, to the cross. That those who come after me must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. It's about humility. It's about having that servant character. We were reminded last week from from John chapter 3, Ian reminded us of the love of God and the command of Jesus Christ. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And it's about the mind of Christ being in control of us. Loving and living for others, not for self. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what should mark this community of believers here in Hebron. That he might increase. That I might decrease. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Is Christ increasing and self decreasing? When was the last time you pointed someone to Jesus Christ? Now let's look at the passage. And I said earlier, for me the key verse is verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. But this passage, it naturally divides into two sections, either side of that verse. And the first section, verses 22 to 29 Um, I want to take that uh, the second part of verse 30, and I want to make that the heading, I must decrease. And the theme there is all about the humility of John the Baptist. And then the second section from verse 31 to the end, he must increase, because that's all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's up on the screen. The passage begins with Jesus and his disciples baptizing in the Judean countryside in verse 22. Then we read in verse 23 that John the Baptist and his disciples are also baptizing, but they're baptizing in another place called called Anon near Salem. Now no one's 100% sure where this location, where this place was, but the general consensus seems to be that it was further north from Judea in Samaria. Now, if that's the case, then it's possible that this is the humility of John the Baptist in action. He's moved north. He's distancing himself from the ministry of Jesus to to give Jesus room, perhaps. Now, verse 25, there is a discussion between John's disciples and the Jew. Now, we're not told about the detail of the discussion, other than it focused on the matter of purification or, or ceremonial cleansing which was obviously important uh, in the Jewish religion. 
It's likely that John's baptism had its roots in Old Testament purification rituals. And so likely this discussion focused on baptism. Now look at how this is framed, verses 25 to 26. In verse 26, you have the discussion in verse 25. Then immediately after the discussion in verse 26, John's disciples come to him and they are questioning him. And they say, Rabbi, teacher, all are going to him. What's going on here? Everyone is going to Jesus and and they are being baptized by Jesus and his disciples. You're losing the crowds. Your ministry is coming to an end. What's going on? I think the discussion then in verse 25 could have been around John's baptism. Is there a problem with John's baptism? Is there a purification problem with John's baptism? Is his baptism inferior to the baptism of, of Jesus and his disciples? Why, why is everyone going after Jesus now? Now, there was no difference between the baptisms. The baptisms of John, the Baptist and his disciples, and the ones that Jesus and his disciples were carrying out. Both were symbolic. Just like believer's baptism that we practice when someone is immersed in water, baptism doesn't change someone. Baptism is, is, is symbolic. The person who is being baptized is saying, I have died with Jesus Christ. I have died to sin and to my own life. And, and when they are raised out of the water, They're saying that they have been raised with Christ into newness of life. John baptized people who were serious about repentance. People who were serious about turning from sin and turning to God. Repentance that had to be marked by a change in their life. And baptism symbolized that. Now the point is this. That John's disciples were jealous for him. They could see his ministry diminishing. They could see the crowds leaving him and going to to Jesus. Their loyalty was to John. And they were having difficulty um, with people leaving him to follow the one that John was pointing to. That's human nature. These are common issues in church ministry. Envy, jealousy over whose ministry is bigger, who's more popular, who attracts the bigger following. Interesting, when you come into chapter 4, verse 2, Jesus himself did not baptize. Probably for that very reason. So that no one could say, I was baptized by Jesus himself. Sometimes we we can become hung up on a particular pastor or teacher and we end up missing Jesus. F.B. Meyer, um, a Baptist minister, an excellent uh, teacher who lived in the the late 19th century. He was called to ministry in London in the late 19th century, and it was around the same time as the likes of Spurgeon, described as the prince of preachers, who who preached at um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And Campbell Morgan 
described as one of the greatest preachers of the, the 20th century who was preaching at Westminster Chapel and thousands of people would go to hear Spurgeon and Morgan. And Meyer watched his congregation dwindle. And he wrote in his diaries that he struggled with thoughts of envy and jealousy over the growing ministry of, of these eminent preachers. And he resolved that he was going to pray for Spurgeon and for Morgan. Because he believed that he could not harbor thoughts of jealousy for someone he was serious about praying for. A lesson in that. However, in his diaries, and I think partly tongue in cheek, he said that he prayed that their ministries would become so successful that there would be no more seats left in their churches and therefore people would be forced to come and hear him in his own church. You see, here with John the Baptist, there are no thoughts of jealousy, no thoughts of envy. Verse 27, John answered them, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This is of God, says John. My ministry is of God. I have received it from heaven. It's now ending. The ministry of Jesus is beginning. This is all of God. He must increase. I must decrease. Verse 28 John alludes to his ministry. It was to prepare the way for Messiah. I am not the Christ. God sent me before him. And then he gives this illustration about the bride and the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom, says John. He is the one who has the bride. Israel was pictured as the bride of God in the Old Testament. But then when you come into the New Testament, the church is pictured as the bride of Christ. The point here is that John, in this illustration, sees himself as the friend of the bridegroom, Jesus. The best man, if you like. His role, his goal, is to help arrange the marriage. And in a sense, John sees himself like some kind of matchmaker, pointing people to Jesus. You know, like someone who would... Uh, introduce a girl, for example, to her future husband. He's preparing people to fall in love with Jesus. And his objective is to hear the church say, I do, to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, not me, says John. I am just the voice. He is the word. I am just a lamp. He is the light. The light of men. The light of the world. I baptize with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I am just a servant. He is the Son of God. He must increase. I must decrease. The humility of John. Now very quickly. Uh, verses 31 to 36. He must increase. The supremacy of Christ. Now, it's unclear whether this is John the Baptist speaking or whether this is John the Apostle. Uh, I think most commentators would, would agree that this is an extension of, of John the Baptist's testimony. 
But anyway, whichever John it is, there are six reasons here why Jesus must increase, why Jesus must be the focus of everything, the focus of ministry, the focus of everything that's done here in Hebron. I'm just going to mention them very quickly. Number one, verse 31, because Jesus is from above. He's from heaven. John says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. John says, all other men, including me, are just that. We are just men. He is different from everyone else. Jesus is from heaven. He is from above. He is God. Reason number two, verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He is the divine witness. All earthly witnesses, including me, says John, We bear witness to the things that have been revealed to us, things that have been taught to us, not Jesus. He is God. No one ever revealed or taught anything to Jesus. He bears witness to what he knows firsthand. Reason number three, verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. In receiving Christ, A person is affirming that God is true. Jesus Christ is God's promised one. The Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When a person trusts Jesus Christ, that person is setting their seal that God is true. Let me tell you the opposite is also true. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. Let me read this. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Reason number 4, verse 34. Because in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity of the Godhead dwells Bodily, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He possesses the fullness of the deity, the Spirit. uh, He possesses the Spirit without measure, without limit. Reason number five, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus must increase. The supremacy of Christ is demonstrated by the fact that the Father has given him all authority. Just go back to verse 31. Twice over in that verse, he who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus Christ sits in that position of supreme authority. And then finally, number six, verse 36. This is where it gets personal for every person in this audience. Because Jesus Christ divides eternity. He is where eternity divides for each and every person. And you must choose what you will do with the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
and what you will do with the testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus Christ. This is why John the Apostle wrote his gospel, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so listen to verse 36, which is probably the final words of John the Baptist in this gospel. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Not will have, has. This is the source of the Christian's joy. Jesus gives eternal life now to those who will follow him, to those who will obey him and trust him. He brings you into that personal relationship with God to know the joy of living with and for God. But here's the warning. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus Christ is where eternity divides. Heaven or hell. Life or death, light or darkness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. It is a living word. It is your word. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each heart bowed in your presence today. Pray that your voice may come to us. Pray that your Holy Spirit would apply your word to our hearts. And so we just pray that you would draw people to Jesus, that you would make your people more like Jesus. And so we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.